Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome back to another episode of the Madhouse Podcast. As always, I am your host, Mad Max. In today's episode, we're going to be covering the Scream franchise. Uh, we're going to be covering the first four films in the series, uh, all leading up to Scream 5. Uh, I don't know why they didn't call that new one Scream 5. Uh, they called it Scream 2022, even though it's technically the fifth film in the franchise. But anyway... Well, I'm going to save that for its own separate episode because I have my thoughts and opinions on that. However, before we get into that, we're going to take a deep, not necessarily a deep dive, but we're going to dive into the Scream franchise as a whole. Uh, so we're going to start with the original film, which stars Nev Campbell, uh, David Arquette, Courtney Cox, um, Skeet Ulrich, Matthew Lillard, Jamie Kennedy, and Rose uh, McGowan. Uh, the movie is directed by... Um, Wes Craven written by Kevin Williamson and I gotta say that first film and you gotta think about it in the mid 90s the horror film genre was pretty much at a tipping point it was dead pretty much you know Wes Craven had gotten to the point where he had to reboot his own franchise because I think earlier that year earlier that 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 decade I want to say I think it was in the early 90s 91 92 he had relaunched the nightmare on elm street with the west craven presents a new nightmare and it was a radical departure from anything that the nightmare on elm street films had ever done so other than that a lot of films had kind of been really taken for granted of because you know horror films weren't as you know popular as they once were in the 80s and 70s and you know even the 60s but uh west craven and kevin williamson put together a fantastic script and a movie called it scream and uh that first film really really set the bar for uh a uh basically kind of making a horror film self-aware you know what i mean like they know the horrors they know the horror audience they are they are moviegoers they are casual they watch a lot of the same shit that we do and uh it goes to show you that that's how far gone the horror movie audience was because at the time it kind of became if you go back in time and look at those movies in the in the 90s, like the Jasons and the Freddies and the Halloweens were kind of becoming a little bit comical rather than scary. You know, it was developing stuff that you had seen a million times and with nothing new to offer, it was, you know, going to be something different. The first Scream film really kind of set the standard for what it meant to be a horror, not a horror film genre but it was basically an adrenaline shot to the heart of the horror film genre itself it really was scary it was uh it had a lot of elements of different types of films you had the murder mystery you had the soap opera and you had a slasher film all kind of rolled into one movie and that was great it was a fantastic performance from nev campbell who at the time she's a relatively newcomer because i think shit in 95 man i think the only thing she had done was party of five and i think she was in the movie the craft and you know she wasn't really a big star neither was david arquette you know courtney cox was on friends and you know not too many people have heard of anybody else to be honest i don't think i've ever heard of matthew lillard before this movie so that was a bit of a long shot and you know it was interesting to see this movie play out the way it did. It was smart. It was self-aware. But at the same time, it still packed the same punches that all horror films should and must have. Even in the opening scene to uh, the first film, it sets the tone for the entire film. 
like you think because Drew Barrymore is in the movie, she's on the poster, she's at that time she was a big star, and you think because we have her that we're gonna be good and things like that. And she's killed in the first ten minutes of the movie. And to be honest, that is one of the great horror movie openings of all time. And I think there's a scene where she's, you know, hiding and, you know, trying to get away from the killer. There's that shot of the killer kind of running down a corridor. And you, you don't see his face, just what he's wearing. And that legit is terrifying. But I think that was so smart the way that was conducted. And from my understanding, from what I've read, is that that was Drew Barrymore's idea. You know, everybody thought because she was a big star that she would be the one who uh, who would be the one left standing and things like that. But when she's killed in the first 10 minutes of the movie, I mean, it's a very Alfred Hitchcock thing to do. And it really sets the tone for the entire movie. As a matter of fact, do you think, I think every film opens with a murder that you don't really see coming. If now, before I get to Scream 2 and 3, you know, that's kind of where I was going with it. Like the opening of Scream 2 does that. You know, two people, Omar Epps and Jada Pinkett Smith, they're murdered in a movie theater while the movie's going on. And that, you don't see that coming. And then in um, uh, Scream 3, the character of Cotton Weary, who has a big, who is in a, he has a very small role. He's barely mentioned in part one, has a bigger role in two, and then he's the first casualty of three. But in three, it opens with his death, which is a clear indication that somebody's out for revenge. But part one, the reveal of Billy and Stu both being the killer was a twist that not too many people saw because in the, in the mid-'90s, you, know, you, you had the one killer, you know, who you who you knew for a fact that it was going to be the sketchy boyfriend, but then when he's locked up halfway through the movie and yet Sydney's still attacked, and then at the end of the movie, um, right after they have sex, Sydney still thinks it's Billy, but then Billy is, you know, supposedly killed. And the killer, you know, that thus begins our third act of the movie. And then when it's revealed that there are two killers and it, and it kind of connects all the dots, like how is this killer still out there if the one prime suspect is in jail or already dead. And I thought that was a great twist at the end. And so I think Scream 1 open was like from beginning to end, it's a great film. It's a, it tells a great story. And uh, from my understanding, I think Kevin Williamson at the end of this, of the part one script at the very end when the movie's over and you know, that's the end of it. There's like a, maybe a five to six, seven pages of, would eventually turn into Scream 2. And, you know, he had it all planned out. You know, that just goes to show you that, you know, he was really, you know, thinking about it. You know, he, he was really so far ahead. And, and the guy as a writer is just incredible. So when he and Wes Craven got the majority of the cast back together, it was Nev Campbell, David Arquette, Courtney Cox, and Jamie Kennedy all came back for uh, the sequel. I cannot, I don't remember the guy's name who plays... Cotton Weary, I, I, it's Liev Schreiber or something like that. I don't know if I'm butchering his name, but he played Victor Creed in X-Men Origins, and he's a pretty good actor. His role in part two is Cotton Weary, the supposed killer of, of, um, of Sidney Prescott's mother in the first one, comes back and he has a, a much bigger role. And because of his past, you know, 
accusations, he's listed as a, as a prime suspect for a new killer. And I think one of the shocking moments in Scream 2 was the fact that the character of Randy, who was kind of like the wild card of part one, who was the one, you know, explaining the rules to survive a horror movie. Rule number one, never have sex. Rule number two, don't do drugs or alcohol. And then rule number three, never ever say, I'll be right back. To whereas, you know, the rules change for the sequel, and of course there's rules for the third one, and there's rules for the fourth one. They all stem from that Randy character, which I thought was great. But in part two, when Randy gets killed about halfway through the movie, that definitely changes the trajectory of where you know, who's going to be next to fall and things like that. You know, there, there's even a, a bait and switch, like you thought in part one. Dewey gets stabbed in the back, and you think David Arquette's dead, and, you know, he's, they show a brief moment of him being loaded into the ambulance, and he's still alive. And then the same thing in part two. You think he gets killed in the recording studio at the end, but, you know, it's revealed that he is still alive and things like that. I thought the second one just basically mirrored the same thing as the first one. It, it was basically a, like a copy and paste. The only difference was the reveal at the end was a little bit different. Rather than two guys, one guy, you know, well, technically, yeah, the motivation is still the same. You know, Sydney, he was out to prove, Billy was out to prove the point that because of the separation of his parents is primarily the fault of Sidney Prescott's mother is why he went on this murderous, you know, streak and things like that. And, of course, his best friend was going to do anything he wanted to do, and that's what made sense for the two killers. To Whereas the second one, not only is one of Sidney's classmates revealed to be the killer, but it also happens that because you need two killers, that in the second one, it's revealed that Billy Loomis's mother is the primary killer. Like, the character of Mickey, who's played by Timothy O'Flan, is almost like a carbon copy of of uh, of the Randy character, because he's also a, a big film buff and things like that. But he was more so the fall guy, because he could get through, he could get in and out, and, you know, if they ever do get caught, he has a plan that, you know, he's going to blame the movie theater, you know, the movies, the effects of violent cinema on human society and things like that. So when Billy Loomis's mother then kills Mickey in a, you know, kind of like a throwaway villain. It's revealed that she's been the mastermind behind this entire thing, and now that she's got Sydney right where she wants her, Act 3, you know, thus begins. I think, to be honest, the only two characters in Scream 2 that are introduced that are relatively, um, you know, important to the script and to the story are Timothy Oflant's Mickey's character, because he's obviously he's the, the, the new killer, and then, of course, Jerry O'Connell, who plays, um, uh, not, is it Jerry O'Connell? It's one of the O'Connell twins. I can't remember which one it is. Uh, it's one of them. I, I want to say it's Jerry O'Connell who plays Sydney's new boyfriend in this one. And because he's the new boyfriend and Sydney does have those little bit of those trust issues, he's looked at as the potential partner. But when it's revealed that he's not and he's killed... It's a little bit of a bait and switch there, but the second one is basically a mirror image of the first one. You know, the the performances are good. Um, Nev Campbell really kind of rises to prominence as she really becomes one of the great heroines of horror. She's right up there with Jamie Lee Curtis as Laurie Strode or even Sigourney Weaver as uh, as Ellen Ripley. But I would definitely put Nev Campbell in those top ones. 
and things like that. Uh, this the second, like I said, it's a mirror image of the second one, of the first one, basically. So when we get to part three, to where they're they're adults now and things like that, and now they're making a, they they made a movie of the events that happened in part one, like Gail Weathers wrote the book, The Woodsboro Murders, and they turn it into a film. That's what the backdrop is in part two. So when we get to part three, they're making another one and things like that. So part three kind of was just, like even though Randy's killed in part two, he does have a cameo appearance in part three where he's on a videotape explaining the rules of a trilogy. So whereas, you know, the rules are basically that uh, the past is not at rest, you know, it's a concluding chapter of a trilogy. You have to go back and something from your past is not true. You know, what we've all known is that everything leading up to part three is that Billy Loomis's, Billy Loomis's revenge on Scream 1 was the catalyst that started the whole Woodsboro murder thing. But in reality, from what he says in part one about, you know, Sidney Prescott's mother being the one who uh, kind of caused his, you know, mental breakdown and things like that. It was all kind of formulaic when it came out in part three. Now, in my opinion, I think it's because Kevin Williamson, who wrote Scream 1 and 2, he didn't write part three, and I think that's why three kind of falls apart a little bit because it doesn't have that same continuity. It doesn't have that same fluidity. You know, other than the principal characters, like Courtney Cox, David Arquette, and Nev Campbell, there's no real, there's no real people to get behind. You get behind... Um, you get behind uh, the the friends that Nev Campbell has in part one and two because they kind of feel you, you get that same camaraderie in one that you get in two. Like one, it's a great chemistry between the teenagers in high school. In two, it's a great equal yet different chemistry in part two when they're all in college. And then in three, you really don't give a shit about the people who are in the movie. And things like that. And it kind of does, you know, go a random... It goes into a random direction. And the killer is revealed to be this movie director who is the illegitimate son of of Sidney Prescott's mother. So the killer... And it's, it's basically like the killer, the serial killer, that kind of starts this whole thing. And our main heroine are related, like in Halloween. Because, you know, this guy... Um, is who's a movie producer and things like that. I think his name is Roman. I can't even remember, but Roman's the killer, and he's also the uh, illegitimate brother of, or the half-brother of Sidney Prescott, and, you know, of course, the killer and the heroine have to be related, like in Halloween or in Star Wars and things like that, and that kind of took a lot of the, the, the fun and the oomph out of the whole thing, and uh, to me, and honestly, that was kind of like the beginning tropes. Well, I'm not going to say the beginning tropes because there were other movies that came out prior to that that were trilogies like part threes in a movie that was weren't that were not that good like the godfather three is probably the worst one in that series in my opinion screen three is the worst one in that series and then fast forward i don't know 10 years later and now we have screen four with a brand new cast of characters you know you still have david arquette courtney cox and and nev campbell returning but you also have a brand new a slew of new characters that they introduced to the franchise. You know, you have Emma Roberts, Hayden Pantier, and um, Rory Culkin are all in that movie. And 
I, I, I got to say that, in my opinion, the casting and the story is all good. Like, the writing is all good. And I think, I don't even think that one is directed by, like, Wes Craven directs all four of the Scream films. That's incredible. That's really good. Kevin Williamson, the guy who wrote Scream 1 and 2, did not write three. I don't even think he did four either. He kind of only serves as a producer on four. But four kind of made a lot of sense. It was, it, it was, it was the dawning age of reboots and remakes and you know the because of a reboot the, the rules change because it's a remake the rules kind of do stay the same and things like that and there was all this stuff about it and the the acting and everything and the execution and the jump scares everything was going according to plan but in my opinion I think where the film kind of falls apart is the third act because it's the revelation that Emma Roberts is the real killer which her motivation didn't seem real believable she wanted her because Sydney Prescott was she's like a distant relative of Sydney Prescott and you know she wants it's like she has this this vendetta against her because she became you know a worldwide sensation a phenomenon because they make Gail Weathers made the book the books were turned into movies and uh and things like that so she kind of became a little bit of a celebrity in four and things like that so whereas it's like Emma Roberts hated the fact that, you know, her, I think it's her cousin or something like that, get all the popularity and she wants her, you know, 15 minutes of fame and things like that. And I was like, I don't buy that. I don't buy the fact that just because this awful, horrific thing that happened to your relative, you know, made her a household name. It's like she became famous in the wrong, for the wrong reason. She became famous because she went through a murder. You know, she realized that the guy that, you know, she called her boyfriend and a guy that she went to school with, you know, she would call her friend and things like that, murdered people, you know, in their hometown and things like that. And that's something that character has to deal with. That's a that's a that's a very severe case of like, you know, trauma that that, you know, that that character can only withstand so much. So for her to come home and Emma Roberts have this like vendetta against her just because she went through a personal tragedy and became famous for it. I didn't really buy it. I didn't buy the fact that she was going to be this this stone cold killer and murder a lot of her friends just so she could have the limelight and things like that. And I was just like, "All right, this is just too much." You know, I respect. I like the fact that Wes Craven did direct it. You know, I you know, from somebody else, this kind of would have been like a B movie, even though it did have the a B movie ending, but it still kind of felt you know, somewhat similar to the original, rather, like I said, it is a little bit of a reboot, and a little bit of a remake, but uh, the, the third act, you know, where they try to separate itself from those categories, it completely falls apart. Um, Wes Craven and Kevin Williamson were originally going to come back to do a fifth film, and it was going to take place after the events of four, and things like that. I think 4 was a little bit more disappointing. Like, a lot of people don't like 4 really at all, and it kind of fucks up the continuity of the series. But in my opinion, I think 3 is the worst one. Like I said, 4 is okay until the very end, you know, when the the killers are revealed and things like that. Uh, But like I said, Kevin Williamson and Wes Craven were originally supposed to come back and do a fifth film. Uh, But unfortunately, in 2015, Wes Craven passed away. And, um... The movie was put on hold for some time, and then I think uh, Kevin Williamson eventually walked away from the project um, entirely. Uh, and then they brought in 
the people who did the movie, um, what was the name of that movie? Ready or Not, they wrote in, I think the people who made that movie, they wrote and directed Scream 5, but that's going to be for another episode. So, um, but yeah, like if I had to rank those films, I think the best one is one. It'd be one, two, four, three, like from best to worst, because I think three is the worst one. Four was okay until the very end. Two was just basically like a carbon, like I said, a carbon copy of part one with just a little bit of a, a switch here and there and things like that to where part one felt the killer's motivation was revenge to whereas uh, the killer in part two, the same thing. You have revenge just in a different way and things like that. And, you know, you got a killer coming from a broken home to whereas in part two, the killer is a, a, a mother who's avenging the death of her son and things like that. So overall, the Scream series have kind of stood the test of time. I really do think that the first Scream is a very important film in the history of horror films and things like that. The fact that it was, the fact that it's become a franchise, you know, tells you a lot. And uh, I'm really happy the fact that Nev Campbell, David Arquette, and Courtney Cox and even Wes Craven have all kind of stayed together throughout the entire series. The fact that Nev Campbell had even said that she wouldn't, she was never going to consider coming back to the franchise unless Wes or, and or Kevin were going to do the same thing. The fact that Wes did come back and Kevin did serve as a producer on, on four and five, you know, it kind of, it, it, you felt the movie would be in good hands, but, um, who knows, you know, uh, who knows where the series is going to go now uh, with Wes Craven tragically passed away and Kevin Williamson kind of working on other projects and things like that. But anyways, guys, that's going to go ahead and uh, do it for today's episode. Uh, the next episode will definitely be the review for Scream 5. It'll probably be spoiler-free. I won't give anything away because if, I mean, if, you, if you're on TikTok, they spoil every movie before it even comes out. I mean, they were doing that for Spider-Man, and I can already tell they're doing it for Scream and things like that. But... I won't do that in my episode, so be on the lookout for that episode as it drops. Be on the lookout for more episodes as they drop. If you like, if you like this episode, be sure to follow the podcast on all podcast outlets, whether it's Anchor, Spotify, Apple, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Odyssey, wherever you're getting your podcast from. Uh, make sure you follow the podcast on all social media outlets, the Madhouse Twenty One, Instagram and Twitter. Do you guys think that? Where do you guys put Scream? Uh, any of the movies um, in your horror collection? Is it top tier? Is it, you know, below the center? Or is it kind of like, eh, a throwaway? Or did it define the horror genre of the 1990s? Because if you think about it, Wes Craven directed some of the most cultural, uh, some of the most cultural-based films of every decade. In the 70s, he had um, uh, The Hills Have Eyes. In the 80s, he had Nightmare on Elm Street. In the 90s, he had uh, Scream. And I don't know if he had one in the 2000s. I know he did Red Eye, which I thought was pretty good. But that wasn't really groundbreaking on any sense of the word. But uh, he still is the master of horror and things like that. But anyways, guys, let me guys let me know how you guys feel about the Scream franchise. Are you excited for Scream 5? Have you seen Scream 5? What did you think about it? Whatever it is, let me know. Uh, on all social media outlets be on the lookout for more content as it does come out i am continuing the spider-man series i will be doing scream 5 as a review i will be doing uh, a harry potter series because of the new uh, hbo max series that that dropped uh, i will be continuing 
the book of Boba Fett. I got to do Peacemaker. I know Peacemaker just came out the first three episodes. Uh, so, like I said, be on the lookout for more content as it comes out. And as always, guys, embrace your inner madness.